My name is Marco Leidecker. I am the head of secretariat of the Framework Convention uh, for the Protection of national, national Minorities. There is much to say about the Framework Convention, uh, its history and its interpretation, but in the limited time available, I would like to discuss uh, some history uh, and some historical context of the instrument, as well as certain what we consider to be key articles of the, of the instrument. Now, to start with some, uh, with some history. Uh, this year, uh, it is an anniversary year for the Framework Convention. The Convention entered into force 20 years ago. At present, the Framework Convention has 39 state parties and through the services of the United Nations missions in Kosovo, it's applied in Kosovo as well. Although the Framework Convention itself is a relatively recent instrument, the matter it concerns with, the protection of national minorities, is age old. According to some authors, um, concern for national minorities is the result of the development of nation states and their conflicts. For instance, in the Westphalia peace treaties, as well as the peace treaties after the First World War, all contained provisions on the protection of national minorities. After the Second World War, interest in the specific minority instrument waned, only to return during the Yugoslav Wars in the early 1990s. Observing the rage and the fury of that war, the international community felt that persons belonging to national minorities needed more protection than the existing legal instruments, including the European Convention on Human Rights, could offer. It was felt that even respect for the classical personal liberties would not guarantee a proper place for persons belonging to national minorities in society. It was felt that for an effective equality for persons belonging to national minorities, a catalogue of well-described rights was needed, as well as active engagements of the authorities to protect and even to promote those rights. This led to the start of a drafting and negotiation process, which in 1995 gave birth to the Framework Convention for the Protection of National Minorities. The achievement of concluding a binding multilateral treaty on the protection of national minorities cannot be underestimated. And many observers ask themselves whether today it would be possible to come up with a comparable legal instrument which is both multilateral and binding. The uh, multilateral dimension sets, its, sets this particular treaty apart from its precursors, as it, first, limits the influence of the quality of bilateral interstate relations on the protection of national minorities, including differences in international standing and economic or military power. And secondly, it may offer protection to minorities uh, without a kin state, or as it is called in other, in, uh, more regularly nowadays, states of origin or interested states. Uh, 
A typical example of such a group would be the Roma. Now, which states have signed um, the FCNM, signed and ratified the FCNM? The Framework Convention has been signed and ratified by 39 out of the 47 Council of Europe member states. The states that are not bound, at least not at the moment, by the Framework Convention are Andorra, Belgium, Iceland, France, Greece, Luxembourg, Monaco and Turkey. The reasons for not acceding are quite diverse. For instance, in France in 1995, the Conseil d'État issued a negative advice as regards France becoming a state party to the Framework Convention. The Conseil d'État held that the Framework Convention is incompatible with the French Constitution, which holds that France is an indivisible republic and that it doesn't recognize any other category apart from the French people composed of all French citizens without distinction uh, in regards of origin, race or religion. In other countries, the perception is that thanks to their homogeneous population, signing up to the Framework Convention would not have any merits. Now, what makes the Framework Convention what it is? What are its main characteristics? First of all, um, we should, you should know that the Framework, the Framework Convention knows two main entities. There's first of all what we would call the Advisory Committee on the Framework Convention, which is a body consisting of independent and impartial experts. And secondly, there is the Council of Europe's Committee of Ministers, representing the Council of Europe Member States. While the Advisory Committee drafts opinions on the implementation of the Framework Convention in a certain state party, formally the monitoring responsibility lies with the Committee of Ministers, which adopts the monitoring results in the form of a, a resolution based upon the Advisory Committee's findings. There's a long-standing debate about the role of the Committee of Ministers in monitoring and whether it should adopt the advice of the Advisory Committee with or without adaptations. So far, uh, by far a majority of state parties um, consider that the Advisory Committee is a treaty body which, as a task, as its main task, has to interpret the Framework Convention and that thus its interpretation should have considerable weight. Um, this explanation seems to correspond with the spirit of the Framework Convention, which in its preamble states that the upheavals of European history have shown that the protection of national minorities is essential to stability, democratic security and peace in the continent. After all, the point, um, the point of expert advice on such a highly political matter as the treatment of national uh, minorities is to depoliticize it and thus to contribute to the stability, democratic security and peace in the continent. The inherent tension of this dual system, um, the framework, the advisory committee on the one hand and the member states on the other hand, is productive in the sense that opinions of the advisory committee are discussed in depth by state parties, 
rather than ignored. Um, and for its part, the advisory committee knows that its resolution, its opinions, will have to be adopted by state parties as well. Secondly, another characteristic of the framework convention is that it is a framework convention. At the time, a unique concept for the Council of Europe. Um, it leaves a considerable margin of appreciation for state parties to find a specific manner to fulfill their obligations. The framework model is also a recognition that national particularities, such as history, culture and geography, may play a role in choosing what measures to take to best implement the Convention. The Advisory Committee um, has constantly acknowledged that state parties have such a margin of appreciation. But it also notes that the margin must be exercised in accordance with the general rules of international law contained in Articles 31 and 33 of the, of the Vienna Convention on the Law of Treaties. In particular, it must be exercised in line with the obligation to interpret a treaty in good faith and in the light of its object and purpose. Third, a third characteristic. The Framework Convention for the Protection of National Minorities does not contain a definition of national minority, as there is no general definition agreed upon by Council of Europe member states. Each party of the Convention is therefore left with a margin of appreciation to assess which groups are to be covered by the Convention within their territory. This decision, decision must be made in good faith and again in accordance with the principles of international law, including the principle of free self-identification set out in Article 3 of the Framework Convention, which indicates that individuals may dis decide themselves whether they wish to be treated as belonging to a national minority. However, their decision must be based on objective criteria connected with their identity, such as their religion, their language, their traditions and their cultural heritage. I would now like to dedicate a, um, a few lines to the structure of the Framework Convention. The Convention has, as all conventions, a preamble which sets out the purpose and objective of the, of the Framework Convention. And there you can, one can read, for instance, that um, the, uh, the issue is about integration of society, uh, there's a, a stress of the individual human rights, um, and there is a, um, uh, an emphasis on the protection of national minority rights within their territory, which point is further elaborated by Article 21 of the Convention, which concerns inter alia respect for territorial integrity of states. Then there are 18 substantive articles. Um, 
which um, contain a plethora of rights, including language rights, rights to set up private education, uh, rights to effectively participate in cultural, social, economic life and in public affairs. Um, the advisory committee interprets these articles by means of um, thematic commentaries. And so far, um, four of these thematic commentaries have seen the light of day. There's one on education, there's one on effective participation, there's one on language rights, and most, recent, most recently, there's one on the scope of application of the Framework Convention. As to the substantive articles, um, I would like to highlight three articles in particular. Article 1, Article 3 and Article 6. As these articles are very much key to the interpretation of the Framework Convention. Article 1. Minority rights, according to Article 1, form part of an international human rights protection system, which is based on the premises that the premise that everyone is born free and equal in dignity and rights. The purpose of embracing minority rights as an integral part of human rights was not to challenge the notion of equality among all individuals, but rather to advance it by further establishing a set of specific rights for persons belonging to national minorities to ensure that they are enabled to participate fully and equally in society. Then something about Article, um, article 3, and I presume I should read this first. Article 3 of the Framework Convention says, every person belonging to a national minority shall have the right freely to choose to be treated or not to be treated as such. And no disadvantage shall result from this choice or from the exercise of the rights which are connected to that choice. Secondly, uh, second paragraph, persons belonging to national minorities may exercise the rights and enjoy the freedoms flowing from the principles enshrined in the present framework convention individually as well as in community with others. Um, article 3 is considered to be the crucial article of the Framework Convention. Um, it, basically, it basically says that um, a person can choose whether or not he or she um, wishes to be associated with a national minority, yes uh, or no. The right to free self-identification contained in Article 3 of the Framework Convention is a cornerstone of minority rights. The Advisory Committee has constantly underlined the centrality of this provision. Free implies, in this context, the individually established and informed to decision to avail oneself of the protection of the Framework Convention. Article 3 is thus necessarily applicable to everyone as every person must have the right to identify freely as a member of a specific group or to choose not to do so. Um, the Framework Convention's explanatory report points out, however, that the choice of the individual 
is not to be arbitrarily, but must be linked to some objective criteria. The advisory committee has intentionally refrained from interpreting what such objective criteria may be. As it is clear from the wording of the explanatory report that they must only be reviewed vis-à-vis -vis the individual's subjective choice. Thus, objective criteria do not constitute element of a definition. Self-identification begins with the free decision of the individual which, if no justification exists to the contrary, is to be the basis of any personal identification. In the view of the advisory committee, a person's free self-identification may only be questioned in rare cases, such as when it is not based on good faith. Identification with a national minority that is motivated solely by the wish to gain particular advantages or benefit, benefits, for instance, may run counter to the principles and purposes of the Framework Convention. In particular, if such action diminishes the intended benefits and rights available to persons belonging to national minorities. While the official recording of a self-identification may in some cases require the evidence of objective criteria, a minority identity must not be externally imposed. The advisory committee has criticized the mandatory recording of ethnicity in identity documents or in internal records of administrative entities, including the police and healthcare facilities, as contrary to the right of to free self-identification. Moreover, it is considered that free self-identification implies the right to choose on a situational basis when to self-identify as a person belonging to national minorities and when not to do so. The third article I would like to stress in particular is Article, is article 6. Um, article 6 is a more contextual article. Article 6 doesn't concern only persons belonging to national minorities, it concerns all persons. Um, article 6 is about the spirit of tolerance, it's about the intercultural dialogue, and it's about active measures taken to, to be taken by um, state parties to um, to promote mutual respect and understanding. Um, the Article 6 uh, is a, an article that um, um, followed a, uh, a compromise during the negotiations as to the scope of the Framework Convention. Well, some parties opted for a narrower scope um, uh, focusing on national minorities as such, other parties had a larger scope in mind. The, um, the consensus found was an article was an article six. As mentioned before, for the advisory committee, article six is very much a contextual article, which um, allows them to put certain measures, um, which may or may not constitute a violation under the uh, under the convention, in a contextual um, approach. Which is, uh, which is very, very relevant here. Um, I would like to conclude now the interpretation of different articles, the explanation as regards to different articles. Um, maybe a few, a few words as to the 
effects of the framework convention in, in 20 years. Um, it's always very difficult to make evaluations as what do certain legal instruments have achieved or have not achieved. Um, at state level we see in quite a number of member states that there is more attention for minority languages, there is uh, adaptions have been made to the education, education system. Overall, I believe that the positive effect of the Framework Convention is that national minorities have become visible, that they are there, and for that reason cannot be ignored or neglected. That in itself offers a protection. And I thank you very much for your attention.